With a key to being carefree about your future in light of so many uncertainties, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. There's much in our lives that are yet unseen and unknown. The situation you're in right now, you don't know how it's going to end. You have a desire and you have a hope and your prayer, Lord, just help me in this and heal me on this. And you have that desire, but you don't know how it's going to end. And because you don't know how it's going to end, you bridge that gap by what? Faith. You trust God that no matter what happens, no matter what the end might be, no matter what his answer is to your prayer life, you're going to trust him. This is amazing grace. Someone has said that to trust God in the good times is nothing, but to trust Him when times are bad, now that's faith. Let's face it, your personal future is unknown to you. It's unseen by you, but not to God, as we'll hear on today's Abounding Grace. And there are good reasons to trust Him with your life. Noah sure did. Here now to tell us of his story is our teacher, Pastor Ed Taylor. Hebrews chapter 11, and Genesis chapter 6 in a Bible study that I'm entitled, By Faith, Noah Worked for God. By Faith, Noah Worked for God. We're in chapter 11 of Hebrews in our verse-by-verse study of this fascinating book, and we've learned already that chapter 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. And I'm so grateful that it's not known as the Hall of Failure, because each of the individuals that are highlighted in Hebrews 11 are known for, in this chapter, their great faith. But we also see in other parts of the Bible that they also failed miserably. And I want to remind you not to separate yourself from the people of the Bible. That's easy to do. Where you're reading the Bible and you see that someone did some great thing or they're known for their walk with the Lord or they're known for their worship, they're known for this great exploit, and you think, well, that can never be me. Because here I am, I'm not that good, and I don't have that gift, and I fail, and I sin, and I struggle, and and I could never be like the people in the Bible. If you do that, you would be wrong, because you're just like the people in the Bible, where they live life very similar to you, and very similar to me. The only difference really is the separation of time. They lived in a different time period, dealing with different issues. But even today, as we learn in the life of Noah, the culture that Noah lived in is very similar to the culture that we live in. And Jesus himself makes a bridge from the days of Noah to the last days. Now in chapter 11, God doesn't highlight their failures. He doesn't have a list of all the mistakes they made. Instead, God chooses to highlight their faith. Those times where their belief connected with the power of God and something radically wonderful happened. And today, we're drawn to the faith and the obedience of a man by the name of Noah. And Noah was a man of faith. His life continually showed his faith by his utter dependence and obedience to God. And yes, this is the Noah 
the one that built the big boat, the one that built the ark. And here the skeptics can't help themselves. You may go back to work this week and somebody asks you, what did you do for over the weekend? You say, oh, I went to church. Well, what did you learn about? Oh, we learned about Noah. And you can just expect to hear it. Oh, you don't believe in Noah, do you? You don't believe that he really built an ark and that God, if there is a God, really judged the world. You don't believe he brought the animals. And what will you say? Of course I believe it. The Bible teaches it to be true. But even... Even though we believe it, something greater is even greater than that happened. And that is Jesus Christ believed and taught us of the true story of Noah and the true story of him building an ark. You can jot it down in Luke chapter 17. In verse 26 it says, When the Son of Man returns, this is Jesus teaching, When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus believed in Noah and the ark and the judgment of God through the flood. And I believe it to be true as well. Notice with me in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Let's not pass that phrase. Things not yet seen. Remember in earlier studies, we learned what the definition of faith really is. Go back to verse 1. The definition of faith actually has this phrase in it. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so Noah receives a divine warning, it says, of things not yet seen. Now what things weren't yet seen yet? Rain, floods, a worldwide catastrophic flood, the entire world being judged by God, an ark this size, a boat, let alone a boat the size that Noah built. None of these things are seen. And yet God spoke to Noah about them, warning them. Secondly, notice, he was moved with godly fear and he prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah heard from God and what he heard moved him toward godly fear And then that godly fear and movement of God internally, he received externally, moved internally, then led him to obey. And he prepared this ark, even though he doesn't even have any idea. We read the story, we we know how it ends. He doesn't. He just has the word of God to live by. Haven't you found that to be true in your life? You and I do not know what the future will hold. As much as we think we do, we don't. There's much in our lives that are yet unseen and unknown. The situation you're in right now, you don't know how it's going to end. You have a desire and you have a hope and your prayer life is focused on, Lord, just help me in this and heal me on this. And and you you have that desire, but you don't know how it's going to end. And because you don't know how it's going to end, you bridge that gap by what? Faith. You trust God that no matter what happens, no matter what the end might be, no matter what his answer is to your prayer life, 
You're going to trust him at his word. Noah lived in a time in human history of great sinful debauchery. It was out of control. It was a shocking time of man's rebellion against God. Let's turn back now to Genesis chapter 6 and gain insight of the days of Noah. Because if Jesus tells us that the end times are going to be like the days of Noah, then what were the days of Noah really like? Notice with me beginning in chapter 6 of Genesis verse 1. Now it came to pass when the men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then, verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. If you're taking notes, notice some of the things about the days of Noah. Number one, there was a population explosion as people were multiplying. Secondly, there was abnormal sexual perversity. Thirdly, there was a skewed marital views. Fourthly, there was wicked, corrupt minds. And fifthly, there was evil violence overtaking the earth. This was a time, as you notice, and you hold your finger in Genesis as we turn to other texts, but notice, this was a time in Genesis 6 where it says in verse 8, all this darkness, all this difficulty, all this sin, all this violence, when it just seems like all is lost, verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. During a violently wicked time, Noah stood out as a man who found favor in God's eyes. Not because he deserved it. Noah's certainly not a perfect man. Those of you that know and have read ahead, you know that after the flood, Noah comes out of the ark, he plants a vineyard, he gets drunk, and he does some really bad stuff. He's not a perfect man. But he is a man of steady obedience. He is a man that takes the word of God seriously. He is a man that is not just a hearer of God's word, but he's a doer of God's word. He is a man that takes seriously the commandments of God. And despite what was happening around him, he didn't get caught up in it. He didn't find himself overtaken by it. And yet he listened and obeyed. Now, just by way of review, up to this point in our study in Hebrews, we've studied two other guys. Remember the first guy that was highlighted, his name was Abel. And Abel was remarked by his faithful worship of God. He was known for his worship. And then we were introduced not only to Abel, but then we met a guy by the name of Enoch. And his faith was remarked that he walked with God. Now we're introduced to a man by the name of Noah. The remarks on his life was his faith led him to work. And let me just tell you, that's always the right order. It's always worship which leads to a real walk in relationship with God, 
which leads to work. It's not the other way around. It's not this, well, I've got to do for God, and I'm going to work really hard for God, and then maybe that'll improve my worship, and then maybe that'll improve. No, it's not that way. It always starts with devotion. And your devotion, your relationship with God, then leads you to dedication. And your dedication will lead to diligence, a life of steady obedience. It's always that order. You'll see that throughout the scriptures. It's worship, walk, and then work. Because working for God, serving him, can be such a joy. It's like the most fulfilling thing you can do with your life is to surrender it to be used by him. To know that our lives matter. To know that we are being used in a greater sense for eternal purposes. It's amazing, really unbelievable. And you know, one of my responsibilities in your life, one of the reasons why God has given this church a pastor and a pastoral team, one of the reasons why I live, why I serve in the capacity and the role that is given. By the way, you know, the role of pastor, and you can jot it down in Ephesians chapter 4, the role of pastor is called a gift to the church. Not necessarily the person, but the role. The role of the pastor teacher is one of God's gifts to his church. And the gift that you and I get to unwrap over and over again is that my role as a pastor, and when I listen to my pastor, Pastor Jeff, and other guys on the radio, and I'm just receiving from the men that God has given this church, the role is this. I'm responsible to equip you for the work of the ministry. That's why I'm here. I'm to pray, study the word of God, and through my life of service, I'm to equip you for the work of the ministry. I'm not the only one that is to do the work of the ministry. We are to do the work of the ministry. And we're to be equipped. And the way that we equip here in this church is to teach you the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because we know that there is power in the Word of God. And the more that it's taught, and the more that it's received, and the more that it's acted upon, we'll make a difference in our community and in our family. And you want to match. You want to match what you receive with action. Don't forget this. It's always the same order. Worship, walk, then the work. Come back to Genesis now in chapter 6. So it's this dark, wicked time. Uh, it's just filled with debauchery and sin. But in the backdrop of this devote, Noah finds grace. If you'd like to take notes in verse 8, just circle the word grace, and you can write next to it. This is the first mention of grace in the Bible. The first time it's mentioned. First time you'll find this word in the Bible is right here in Noah's life. And you find it in the context of darkness and difficulty. Somehow, Noah was able to live his life untouched by the culture in which he lived. Notice verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Again, don't be thrown by the word perfect. It also can mean blameless. He had a steady life of obedience. Not a perfect life in the sense that we think he never made a mistake, but a blameless life. A steady life of obedience. Verse 10. Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, indeed it was corrupt, and all flesh was corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, verse 13, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. 
and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark. Again, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, you could write boat. That's what the ark is. Or you could write next to it a big boat. So make yourself a big boat of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, covered inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits and it's height 30 cubits. So basically it's 500 by 75 by 50. You'll make a window for the ark. You finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it a lower second and third decks. And behold, verse 17, I myself am bringing the flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under the earth all flesh in which is the breath of life and everything that's on the earth shall die. But I'll establish my agreement with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark, keep them alive with you, and they shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, the animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. And verse 22, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. This is how he gets into the hall of faith. Thus Noah did according to all that was commanded him. Now, things were so bad at this time in Noah's life in the culture and society and the world in which he lived, that judgment had to come. God, he chose not to strive with man any longer. He has patiently waited. And we'll find that he'll patiently wait another hundred plus years. The time it took Noah to build the ark. The patience of God. Sometimes people mistake the patience of God for approval of sin. And it goes like this. You know, you get a, some warning from a pastor. Hey, be careful of this. Don't get involved in that. You will reap what you sow. And your thought is, well, I haven't reaped what I've sown yet. I haven't reaped what I've sown yet. So therefore, maybe God approves of it. No, God never approves of sin. And when you say in your mind, or even think in your mind, well, I haven't been caught yet. I haven't reaped what I've sown yet. I haven't been judged yet. Would I please encourage you, emphasize the word yet because there's nothing hidden that won't be revealed there's nothing that's sown in the flesh that you won't reap corruption and we learn in Noah's day that God judges time morally not necessarily chronologically there comes a point in time where there's no more redemption for this sin no longer allowing it to continue the end of all flesh is before me, the Bible says. Those are solemn and sobering words. That it will come to an end. That God will not strive with man forever. You know, in the second coming of Jesus Christ, this is going to happen again. It won't be a flood. It'll be by fire. The judgment of God will come again. And it will come again in the last days that will be very similar to the days of Noah. And it's in that backdrop that God speaks to Noah and he tells him to build an ark, very specifically. And I love that. Noah was a different man. In the worst time imaginable, people were just going on with life, just doing things normally, getting involved, like living like nothing was wrong. 
There was a desensitization of evil that just wasn't feeling it anymore. Nobody taking a stand for it, getting involved. And you know, it's not unlike the days in which we live, which only leads me to that sense that the coming of the Lord is closer than ever before. These are the last days before the Lord's return. Are you ready? Now's the day of salvation. More on this next time, should the Lord tarry, here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor has been in Hebrews chapter 11 describing how Noah worked for God by faith. To give this a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. Pastor Ed, how do we answer the skeptic about Noah's flood who assert there was no worldwide flood in history? How should we respond? Well, of course, there's a lot of different ways we could respond, right, right, Larry? Because uh, immediately, if you question these things and you're a very intelligent, smart, scientific person, you can go to the website AnswersInGenesis.org, AnswersInGenesis.org. They do a phenomenal job to speak to those scientific, challenging questions and answers that the smartest of people would be looking for. I happen to not be a very scientific person. Not that I'm against science at all, no. I'm just not smart enough to really delve into that realm. That's not a strength of mine. But God has given me a few other strengths, and that is reading and understanding what I'm reading. And I just, I've, I've always had the benefit of loving to read, so I read a lot. And then God has gifted me with the ability to understand things and to put things together. So for those that are struggling with believing in Noah, believing in a worldwide flood, believing in the uh, veracity of such a thing, we, we need to change the question a little bit. And let me ask the question this way. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is a real man walking on the earth? And do you believe he told the truth? Or do you believe he was a real man and he was a liar? Or he was deceived? Or he was dumb and believed fables? And, and I know that's a silly way to ask it, but we've got to ask it that way. Because even though I'm not a very scientific person, uh, I sometimes I'll, you know, Ken Ham is a friend of mine. Uh, I'll listen to him. He's so smart. I, 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 I will listen to him sometimes and not understand, even though he can make things simple. And I would look at him and I'm like, I, I don't know. That, that's an amazing explanation. Thank you very much. And I'll go to Answers in Genesis myself to get answers. However, I can make it much simpler for you. Do you believe Jesus? Because this is what Jesus said. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, it was also in the days of Lot. And he goes on and on. Jesus affirmed his, his belief in Noah, the days in which they lived, how it happened when the flood came and it destroyed them all. The flood came and destroyed them all, a worldwide destructive flood that surrounded the days of Noah. So I believe Jesus, and I believe what Jesus taught, and he taught the flood was true, and that Noah was a real person. Same with Hebrews. Noah was mentioned many times. And when you reduce some of the more controversial things to what did Jesus say about them, Jesus believed them, taught them as truth. I believe them, and teach them as truth. Great question. Thanks, Larry. 
Very good. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. Especially during the pandemic, depression and anxiety have been on the rise. And maybe that's something you or someone you know has been dealing with. We want to help you by sending you an insightful book called Depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness. Author Edward Welch compassionately addresses the complex nature of depression, applying the rich treasures found in the Bible. There is a way out of the darkness, and we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order this and many other resources through our e-store at calvaryco.store. If you'd just like to make a donation and not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to aboundinggraceradio.com. Glad to have you with us for today's broadcast, and we look forward to continuing the journey through Hebrews next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.